everyone, welcome back to My Immune System Hates Me. My name is Chelsea, and today I've got a very special guest. David was diagnosed with RA earlier this year and reached out to me shortly after. We'd been talking back and forth for a while, but recently his condition took a turn and I convinced him to share his story on the show. Here's David. Hi, David. How are you? Welcome to the podcast. I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to finally speak with you. We've been corresponding for a couple months, so it's nice to like finally see your face. Yeah, it's, it's weird to be talking to you one-on-one after hearing your voice on the podcast for, <laughs> for six months. <laughs> um, before we get into your medical stuff, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. So um, I'm 50 years old, uh, live in New Jersey, uh, married with three uh, boys. So a pretty loud and crazy household. Originally a scientist. Now I'm a salesperson that sells to scientists. I like uh, food. I guess I, I guess you'd call me a foodie. Movies, traveling, music. I don't know. General things. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So let's switch over to medical. So mm-hmm. you have rheumatoid arthritis. Yes. What What has your experience been with it? It all came on pretty quickly. So it started right at the beginning of the year, like early January. I started waking up with really bad shoulder pain. It started in my left shoulder. Again, I woke up and my left shoulder was just killing me. I'm like, what did I do to it? I assumed I just injured it doing something. I don't know, shoveling snow or whatever, but I couldn't think of anything that would have caused it. I had injured that same shoulder maybe seven years ago. So I thought maybe I just re-injured it somehow and just didn't remember what caused it. Um, but anyway, it hurt like crazy for like two days and then it just went away. I'm like, okay, that's weird. Usually when I had shoulder problems before, it lasted for months before it fully healed. But I'm like, whatever, that's you know better healed than, than hurting. But then a few days after that, I wake up and my right shoulder is killing me. I'm like, well, I know I didn't do anything to my right shoulder. So that's just really bizarre. Similarly, the right shoulder hurt for a couple of days and then it went away. And then over the next few weeks, it just kind of went back and forth. Like one day the left would hurt and then the right would hurt then both would hurt then neither would hurt. And it was just really, really weird. And also during that period of time, like a couple of weeks in January, I would get these random pains and like in my knee for a day or two or my foot or my hip. And it would really hurt. Like it would be hard to walk for those two days and then it would go away. And again, the more of these things happen, I'm like, this is just really weird. Um, I thought about seeing the doctor, but not really sure what the doctor could do. I was just taking Advil as, as the pain came. But then the, the pain in the shoulders really started to set in and become more severe, eventually to the point where I couldn't sleep at night. That hurt to lay down. So, uh, you know, for a, a period of, I don't know, maybe two weeks, like every night I'd lay down on my bed, try to fall asleep, you know, maybe get an hour or two, wake up, just trying to find a comfortable position that wasn't hurting, get frustrated, come downstairs, sit in the recliner, which is the only thing that was somewhat comfortable. Um, and then sleep as well as I could in the recliner and then get up at six and start my day. And it was just miserable. So, you know, my wife is like, you have to see a doctor about this. This, you know, this is not going away. So I eventually made an appointment with my doctor. On the first exam, he thought, you know, hey, you're 50 years old, you're getting older. You know, everyone that ate that age tends to have shoulder issues. It's probably just tendonitis, you know, do these stretches, keep taking your Advil and you, you should be okay. Um, I mentioned the other aches, like the knee and the hip and stuff. And he's like, oh, again, it's just age related. You know, don't worry about it. It's just things are to come with, with turning 50. So I left that visit, you know, not really happy because I still had this sleeping issue with my shoulders and it wasn't getting any better. I think it was the very next night. It was like the worst it had ever been. I woke up and my, my right shoulder was just like killing me. It was like locked in place. I couldn't even like move it at all. And then almost like my body saying like, hey, there's something else going on. Like, wake up. Again, it's like two days after the doctor's visit. My left hand, middle finger, middle knuckle swells up when I can't bend that finger. And then my right jaw starts hurting as well. 
and I'm, I'm sitting at the table and I tell my wife, I'm like, there's something else going on. There's, there's something not right with me. Like my fingers swollen, my jaw swollen, the shoulder thing. She goes, well, then go back to the doctor. I'm like, well, I just was there. What's he going to do? He's going to tell me this thing. Eventually he's like, you, have, you can't just keep sleeping on the recliner. You have to do something. So I go back to the doctor like a week later, which is weird. because like, I never see my doctor just for checkups once a year. So he agrees to see me on a, on a telehealth visit and I tell him what's going on. And he's like, well, I still think it's age-related. I think you have problems with your shoulders, but being a good doctor, you know, not believing it, but he said, I'm going to send you for blood work. So I'll test you for rheumatoid arthritis, you know, anything that could be causing systemic inflammation, um, Lyme disease, like all the usual things. So that was good. You know, that was good on his part. So I get all the blood work done and he calls me, you know, two days later. He's like, I have the result of your blood work. You're reading high on the two inflammatory markers. These are things you're probably familiar with, uh, ESR and, and uh, CRP. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if you talked about, I don't think you talked about that stuff on this podcast. Yeah. I've talked a bit about like the ANA tests, Mm -hmm. but I don't really quite understand what the other ones do. (laughs) Yeah. Those are just measurements of like how much inflation and inflation inflammation (laughs) is going on in the body. So it doesn't say what's causing it, but if your ESR, the thing is erythrocyte sedimentation rate and CRP is C-reactive protein. Mm -hmm. Those are markers of inflammation. Again, doesn't, doesn't say what's causing it. Um, but those are both elevated on my blood work, not crazy elevated, just a little bit above the minimum. And then my anti-CCP antibody, which is one of the autoantibodies they test for in rheumatoid arthritis was off scale. It was like so high. It was above the, the highest limit you can get on that test. And I could tell from the sound of my doctor's voice, he didn't really understand it. He's like, well, you're negative for rheumatoid factor. RF is the one that most people know, but you're positive for this other antibody. And I'm not really sure what that means but I'm going to refer you to a rheumatologist who knows more about this. So it turns out that anti-CCP antibody, it's, it's not present in everyone who has rheumatoid arthritis, but if you have a positive test for that antibody, it's 99% certain that you have RA. Mm. So the other autoantibody they test for the rheumatoid factor can, can be a lot of other autoimmune diseases, not necessarily arthritis. Mm. CCP antibody almost definitely means you have arthritis. So when I had my first visit with the rheumatologists, you know, he saw my blood work, he looked at my joints and he's like, yeah, this is rheumatoid arthritis. Is there really not much question about it? So uh, that was my diagnosis. And that, you know, going from my first symptoms to that diagnosis was only about six or seven weeks, which is, I know, pretty short as these things go. Yeah. Well, and I, I do feel like because obviously like not all doctors, I think have rheumatoid arthritis on their radar, but like when you describe it, the fact that it's going from your right shoulder to your left, like that's a key signal is like the symmetry between the joints. But yeah, I feel like primary care doctors don't really register that kind of stuff. Exactly. And like 50 is not that old. (laughs) (laughs) So that's also like, come on. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. We can talk about more about this later, but it's just like a common theme I know of your show and of my whole experience is just Understanding the way doctors think and, and distinguishing what's a good doctor, what's a not so good doctor, mm-hmm. and you know, being able to find the right doctor for you and, and what that means. Um, so my primary care, yeah, he got some things wrong, but it took two visits. You know, one was a misdiagnosis. Yeah. Second one, he was still leading towards his original, which was wrong, but he said, well, well let's test you and find out. Right. And he found out. So, you know, give him credit for that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So I had my first visit with a rheumatologist. Um, he started me on methotrexate which is the one that most rheumatologists start with, you know, kind of explained to me that it's going to take a long time for this to start working. It's, you know, weeks before we know. Also in the office, he treated the shoulders, which was awesome. He does a procedure where they draw fluid off the shoulders, um, the synovial fluid, which is what's causing the, the pain and inflammation. And they inject in corticosteroids to reduce the inflammation. That was the first night I slept well in like two weeks. So that was awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and they've actually been 
fine since then. Like I, I have some shoulder pain and not definitely hundred percent, but they're nowhere near like they were back in January, February. So that was great. Wow. Yeah. So it was a pretty uneventful first dermatologist visit. And he's like, yeah, you have it. You're starting methotrexate. We started a low dose and we, we go higher if it looks like it's not working. Mm-hmm. So that was my February. <laughs> and then the other thing that happened around that time was the COVID vaccine was becoming available. So I asked him on that first visit, like, what do I do about COVID vaccine? Am I okay to take it? You know, is, is the, the medication going to interfere with it? And it's it still new then. I still think it's kind of new now. They don't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. But the general recommendation is for methotrexate to skip your dose after getting your shots. Because those of you who don't take methotrexate, it's a weekly dose. So pretty soon after that, I got approved for my COVID vaccine. So while I'm waiting for the methotrexate to work, um, I'm already skipping doses <laughs> because of the COVID vaccine, which wasn't ideal. And also during that time, my hands started to flare up. So I only had that one knuckle on my left hand that was bothering me. Um, but as time went on, like my entire hands on both of them were, were really tough. I, I'd wake up, I could barely move both hands. So that was probably the hardest period of time was March into early April because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't open jars. I couldn't open Ziploc bags. You know, I had to ask my, my son to help me put garbage in the garbage bag or into the garbage can. So that was frustrating. Yeah. I went back to the rheumatologist for my second visit and he's like, well, I, I don't think this methotrexate dose is working well. So you already upped me up to the next highest one. Mm-hmm. And then in April is when things started to get a little bit crazy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, mid-April, um, I'm at home, working from home, sitting in the same chair on, on a conference call for work. And as I'm talking, my, my left fingers start to go numb. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. Maybe my, my hand's falling asleep or whatever. And I start wiggling my hand around, waiting for the feeling to come back. And it starts to spread to my other fingers instead of going away. I'm like, okay, that's really weird. And then next thing I know, this, the numbness is spreading up my arm, like up to my elbow. And then I start to get a little bit panicked. Okay, what is this? What is, is, it, is this related to the rheumatoid arthritis? I didn't know. Um, but once it started going on my arm, I, I quickly got out of the call. I went and I found my wife, who's also working from home. I'm like, there's something weird going on. My, my arm is going numb. And she's like, what do you mean? And then as I'm telling her this, I feel like a pins and needles, like tingling sensation on my tongue, then on the back of my neck, going down the left side of my back to my left knee, like this tingling. I don't know what's going on. Am I having a stroke? Like, what is this? So my my first thought was still, is it related to the RA since it's so soon after those symptoms started? So I called their office to try to get a hold of them. But at the same point, I'm like, should, should I call 911? Should I go to the emergency room? Like, what is this? But I was able to get a hold of the rheumatologist. And the whole numbness tingling thing only lasted maybe 15, 20 minutes and it was gone and there was no after effects or anything. So when I talked to the rheumatologist, he's, he's like, no, this doesn't sound like RA. I don't know what it is, but I think you should talk to your primary care physician. Um, and if it happens again, just, you know, go to an ER. So I'm like, okay. So I call my primary care. Uh, I don't talk to him directly, but he says, come into his office. I want to see you in person the next day. So I see my primary care, explain to him what happened. He does a full neurological workup, you know, basically seeing if the, your movement, sensation, strength is all normal on both sides of your body and everything's completely normal. And he says that uh, it kind of seems stroke-like, but I don't think this was a stroke. You know, strokes don't present themselves like this. Like if you had a, a stroke that affected the entire left side of your body, you know, you have slurring speech or droopy eyes or there, you would not be healthy after having a stroke affecting that larger part of your body. You have zero risk factors for stroke. You have no heart issues, nothing cardiovascular, um, you have no history of it. You have low cholesterol. It's like, it didn't just come out of nowhere. Like, you know, when you have a stroke, you have a blood clot that comes from somewhere. Mm. So he's like, I don't know what it is. I think it's, it might be a pinched nerve or something, but you know, if I do an MRI, then it's probably going to come back normal. So it probably won't, won't do that. So, uh, you know, let's just hope it's a one-off thing. So I, I leave that doctor's office. 
And then again, telling my wife, my wife talks to her sister-in-law, who's an RN, mm-hmm. telling her what's going on. And, and she has her RN friends as well. And they all discuss within themselves. I like the cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just cattail in my face. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> they, they come back to my wife. They're like, he should get an MRI. Like, you don't mess with stuff with your brain. Like, if, there, if it was a stroke or a mini stroke or something, you know, you need to know that. Don't take the doctor at his word. Hmm. So I go, I go back to the doctor and I say, Hey, you know, I thought about it. You know, even though he said it might not show anything, I'd still like to get the MRI. And again, being a good doctor, he says, okay, I'll recommend you for the MRI. And then while that takes time because your insurance has to approve the MRIs. So that it took like at least a week, I think. And before that even happened, I I had my second dose of COVID vaccine. And then a few days after that, I have another episode of of this numbness. Mm -hmm. This time it presented itself a little bit differently. Instead of it starting with just like with numbness in my hand, I had this like weird sensation in both hands where it felt like they were kind of floating. It was hard to describe. Like I couldn't feel like where my hands were in space. I could see them, but I knew that there was something just not right about my hands. And I I went wife again. I'm like, there's something going on again. I don't know what it is, but but my hands feel weird. And then as I'm saying that, my entire left arm just goes numb all of a sudden from like hand to shoulder, like totally numb. And she's like, we're going to the ER, you know, get in the car. There's a hospital, maybe two or three miles from us. She goes, just get in the car. We're going to go. So we're driving. And as we're driving, I feel like the left side of my face goes numb, like the left side of my nose and my cheek. And again, it's a little bit panicky, Um, but we get to the ER. Of course, as I'm checking in, it goes away again, you know, 15, 20 minutes and it's gone. But I I explained to him what happened. And of course, they bring me back. They're like, they want to do an exam. Even though the, the, the symptoms had gone, they, they treat it like a stroke. They're like, okay, we're going to give you a CT scan or give you an MRI um, just to see what's going on. So uh, I'm back in the exam room of the ER and a neurologist comes in and he's like, we're seeing something on your scans. I'm like, well, okay, what does that mean? It's like, we're seeing a thickened area on like the surface of your brain in the, the right parietal lobe. And what, what is the right parietal lobe? That's the part that controls the sensory information of your left side. So it explains why I'm getting this numbness on the left side of my body. He's like, we don't know what it is. We don't think it's cancer. It could be some sort of infection. Like it's in the, like the membrane covering the brain. So like, that's what meningitis would look like. So he's like, it could be meningitis. So we have to do a, a lumbar puncture or a spinal tap to get uh, cerebrospinal fluid to test for the presence of, you know, bacteria, whatever, different viruses that we can test for. Like, doesn't sound like fun, but if that's what you have to do, then I guess you have to do that. So they, they do the, the lumbar puncture in the emergency room. And he's like, while we're waiting for those real results, we want to do an EEG also. Like that's a, an electrical readout of your brain to see, test for seizure activity. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, how long does that take? He's like, it's going to be probably like 24 hours. I'm like, okay, does that mean I'm being admitted? Like, oh yeah, you're going to be admitted. And also it's not going to be this hospital. We have to move you to our other hospital because we don't really have a neurology group at this one. I'm like, okay. So, you know, I was, I'm feeling perfectly fine at this point, but in a couple hours, they have me in an ambulance being transported to another hospital, like 10 or 15 minutes away. So it was pretty much uh, a crazy day. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say. Yeah. This was a Thursday night. So Thursday night, I arrive at this other hospital they do the EEG in the middle of the night. They wake you up at like midnight to put up like 30 different leads on, t- on the top of your head. And uh, it's not easy to sleep with 30 wires sticking out of the top of your head. Yeah. <laughs> and then Friday comes and then another neurologist comes in. He's like, okay, this is, this is what your MRI looks like. Basically the same thing. We're seeing this, this highlighted area on the right side of the brain. It's what's causing the numbness issues. We don't know exactly what it is. So we got to figure out what it is. So the plan is to... Number one, to see if it's cancer or not, Um, because one of the things that could cause it is if you have cancer in another part of your body, 
that's metastasized to your brain. Really a bad situation. If there's anyone listening that's ever had that or knows someone, then my heart goes out to you because it's a really, that's a bad diagnosis if you have cancer that's spread to your brain. So they, they did a full body CT scan just to see if there's any undetected cancer in my, my lungs or wherever. So that was a stressful test, but it came back negative, thankfully. And he said, well, the plan is to do a more detailed MRI, but we have to wait till Monday morning to do that. And this was Friday. So I'm like, okay, so you're telling me I'm spending the weekend in the hospital. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. And this is just, that's what we have to do if we want to get the MRI on Monday. Like, okay, great. It's going to be a great weekend in the hospital feeling perfectly fine. Again, I, I know symptoms or anything. And I'm in the neurology ward where they treat stroke victims. Um, so that was a very weird experience to be in the hospital for that. Wow. Um, and then he said, okay, if we can't figure out what it is on Monday, then we're probably gonna have to go in and do a brain biopsy on Tuesday. I'm like, okay, again, not really the best thing I wanted to hear, but I have to wrap my head around that. And like, if they have to understand what it is, then that's what I have to do. Yeah. So that's how I spent my weekend is, is stressing out about possibly having my brain <laughs> My head opened up for a brain biopsy on Tuesday. Oh my gosh. I forgot to mention also, I saw a rheumatologist while I was in the hospital because they take all your medical history. And of course I tell them that I have RA, not knowing if it's related or not. So the rheumatologist at the hospital was great. I, I really liked her. She seemed really sharp and she you knows she's listening to the whole situation, but you know, no one is really putting the two together as far as the brain thing being related to the RA. They you know it's more likely to be something infectious or you know, God forbid it was cancer. Hmm. So the second MRI was no more definitive than the other one. They really couldn't tell what it was. And I'm, you know, getting geared up for this biopsy on Tuesday. And then the neurosurgeon and his uh, physician's assistant comes in to like walk me through the procedure on, on Monday. And you know, like, oh, it's routine. And we do these all the time. You know, it takes like two and a half hours. You're under general anesthesia. You know, we cut a quarter size hole in your skull and like, okay. But the weird thing is, is the neurosurgeon, he's like, well, I looked at the results from your CSF and the results of your scans. And it's like, I'm not really convinced we need to do the biopsy. He's like, I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, it looks like inflammation. Like we're seeing inflammation on the, you know, the surface of your brain. If we go in there and take tissue out, what I'm going to see most likely is inflamed tissue. And it's not, and it not, won't tell us anything more about what's causing it. It's like, I've seen brain cancer before. This does not look like cancer to me. So that was good to hear from a, from a nurse yeah. that specializes in oncology. So that, that was nice. So he's saying like, it, you know, based on the history, the fact that it's so close to when your RA symptoms started, I'm tending to think it's related to that. Like it's, it's too coincidental. Hmm. I'm like, okay, that makes, makes sense. And I also mentioned the, the vaccine. I'm like, it's also kind of weird that the timing was, was with my COVID vaccine, just a couple of days after he's like, really? It's like, I didn't even know that, you know, about that. He's like, yeah, it definitely seems like it's related. He's like, I don't know how it's related, but just, it's just a weird coincidence. Yeah. And don't, don't, don't misread me. I'm not anti-vax at all. Like if, if this happened to me, like I haven't heard it happen to anyone else, extremely rare thing. And no one even knows that's what's causing it, but whatever. Just wanted to make that disclaimer. Yeah. But, but in his opinion, it seemed much more likely to be some sort of immune reaction hmm. than it being cancer or infectious or anything that he would have found out from a biopsy. Yeah. So he's like, well, you know, well, talk to the neurologist. Most likely we're just going to send you home and hopefully it's a one-off thing and it just kind of clears itself up. So the, the thing that was a little bit controversial is, do they treat me with a, an anti-inflammatory, you know, cort another catacorticosteroid, prednisone, before they send me home? And they decided not to do that because they're immunosuppressants. And like, if it is infectious, mm. that's causing this, you don't want to kill your immune system because then you're not going to be able to fight it off. So that makes sense to me. And the other thing they said is that if it's cancer, which they still hadn't completely ruled out, 
if you treat it with an anti-inflammatory and then do a biopsy later, it's going to be diff more difficult to see exactly what's going on because you reduce the inflammation that's being caused by the cancer. Mm -hmm. So that's the two reasons why not to treat me. So eventually having the hospital for four days and release me without treating me with anything, <laughs> which oh was again, gosh. weird. Yeah. Oh, and, and I had my parting gift too. Like, oh, by the way, we need to do another lumbar puncture because we didn't get enough material to do the cytology test for it's another test for cancer to see if the cells in there are, are normal or abnormal. But we need a lot of volume for that. So you have to do another lumbar puncture before we discharge you. I'm like, great. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's people on the podcast that have had lumbar punctures and, you know, they're notorious for causing headaches. The first one was, was fine. I was expecting like a bad side effect from that first one in, in the ER, but I was perfectly fine. Like, oh, this wasn't so bad. The second one knocked me in my butt. <laughs> really? I was miserable for like a week after that second one. Like every morning I'd wake up, my hand, head was just like killing me. As soon as I got up, I just wanted to lay back down again. I'm like, oh, this is, this is miserable. Oh, wow. You know, I was happy I got discharged from the hospital, but I had like a, a week of misery from these headaches. <laughs> okay, so that brings us to the third episode. So, so the third one was, at, was in the evening. And again, my hands feel weird. And I'm looking at my hands like, um, to, you know, telling my wife, you know, something going on again. I think this is happening again. But I'm not going numb. But my hands look like they're see-through. I'm like, why, why do my hands look like they're see-through? And I finally realized that I'd lost peripheral vision on the left side on my left eye. Like I could see my hand in front of my face, but I moved it to the left or down, it was disappearing. So when I was looking at them, my two hands together with both eyes, I was seeing it with one eye, not seeing it with the other, which is why they're looking transparent. I think we have to go back to the ER. I'm like, I'm having, I've lost my peripheral vision in my left eye. So this time we had the kids. The other time they were in school, which made things a little bit easier. So we had to pile them in the, in the van, drive back to the ER, I had to go into the ER, into the ER with my oldest son because my wife had to stay in the car with our two younger ones, um, which was not great. I don't have I don't have my son in the ER with me, but whatever. So they do an exam. Um, they you know confirm that the peripheral vision is not working properly. So they they bring me in the back to do more scans, MRIs, CT scans. And as I'm laying on the the table in the back, my left leg goes completely numb, like boom, like totally numb, and it like falls off the table because I, I can't control where it is. It's like. I can't feel the tables. So my leg just keeps falling. Right after that, my entire left arm also goes completely numb. So that was a little bit scary. And unfortunately, my son was in the room too. So I had to try to, I had to keep it together and, you know, not overreact to anything. But I could tell that the doctor that was with me was concerned because I think we have to take you for a CT, like, you know, now. The, the feeling in my left leg comes back and the feeling in my left arm comes back. And then a little while later, the arm goes numb again. Um, and then she wheels me for my scans. By that time, my wife was able to get the, the babysitter to come and watch the kids so she could come back with me. It's basically like the last visit. They're like, okay, we can't handle you here. So we're going to have to put you in the ambulance again to bring you to the other hospital where the neurology <sighs> is. And this is, it was the same day. It was a Thursday again. So by the time they transported me to the other hospital and got me into my bed, it was like three o'clock in the morning, um, which wasn't fun. The decision that time was they wanted to do an angiogram. Wondering if what was going on in my brain was something called vasculitis, which I don't know if you've had anyone talk on your show about vasculitis. It's, a, it's another yeah. immune disease where instead of the antibodies att attacking your joints, like RA, the antibodies attack your blood vessels. So you get inflamed blood vessels in different parts of your body. Um, it's, it's a pretty serious autoimmune condition, but it can affect your brain as well. It can be CNS vasculitis, which is incredibly rare, but they wanted to look at the blood vessels in that area of the brain to see if it might be the, the blood vessels that are inflamed. So the angiogram is a, is a pretty horrible sounding procedure where they have to put a, a like a very thin wire, like a, a catheter into a blood vessel, like in your leg, and they fish it up through your body 
until it reaches your brain. What? And then they inject a dye into, into your brain that, that highlights the blood vessels and they take a picture of it. So they get this very detailed view of, of the blood vessels. Um, and I'm familiar with the procedure. I'd heard about it before. I'm like, that's not something I really want to have done. I'm like, so tell me what, what information are you going to get from this? Is there any other way to get the information? He's like, well, we already did an MRA on you. So that's a, like an MRI, a magnetic resonance angiogram, which looked completely normal. Your blood vessel looked normal. So this is just kind of confirming that everything is normal in your blood vessels. So I'm like, okay, so you already assume it's going to be negative. So number one, that doesn't make me all that anxious to want to have a procedure done. We're kind of expected to not show anything. Yeah. So, you know, is there any other way to do it? Because, well, there's something called a CTA. So it's a, like a CAT scan, except similarly, you're looking at blood vessels instead of looking at the tissue. Like, that's what I want. <laughs> CTA, just put me in a big tube and, 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 and take images. You know, nothing that actually goes into my body, up my leg, into my brain. So the CTA comes back negative. Again, blood vessels look completely fine. So like, you know, the, the angiogram might've given a little bit more detail, but basically at this point, we think the blood vessels are fine. It doesn't look like vasculitis. There's also a whole panel of blood tests they do for vasculitis, which they've done for me, all came back negative. So um, they're back to not really knowing what it is. Um, the neurosurgeon is still pretty certain it's not cancer. Where the issue comes in is the neurologists are very anxious to just write it off as being something autoimmune related, where the rheumatologists are like, we've never seen anything like this. We don't think it's related to your rheumatoid arthritis. It doesn't, it doesn't affect your brain. But if you look into it, because I had a lot of time sitting in the hospital over these weekends, <laughs> I was doing a lot of Googling. When I looked up the explanations for the images they're seeing in my MRI, this, this highlighting of the, the meninges, one of the things that comes up is something called rheumatoid meningitis, which I never heard, heard of before. So rheumatoid meningitis, as the name suggests, is when people with RA have inflammation in their meninges and the, the membrane on, on their brains. And apparently this is incredibly rare. Like there's only been maybe, you know, hundred or so cases ever reported all just like case studies in the literature. There's never been a study done on it, like a large scale study about what causes it, how to treat it, whatever. You just get these one-off case studies. Um, so I was reading all these papers about rheumatoid meningitis. I'm like, is this what I have? Two of the rheumatologists I talked to in the hospital are like, no, that's not a thing. I've never heard of it. I've never seen anyone with this. RA doesn't cause any brain symptoms. And then the third rheumatologist, the one I had met first, the one that I liked on my first visit to the, the hospital, it's like, uh, you know, that's really unlikely. It's probably not that, but she was open-minded to it possibly being that. Mm -hmm. And it, that goes back to, you know, what we talked about earlier about good doctors, not so good doctors. So I'm like, a good doctor has to be open-minded. You know, just because I haven't heard about something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You know, rare conditions happen. There are, and I don't know if that's what's causing mine or not, but to dismiss it as saying, I'm a rheumatologist, I've never heard of it. That's not really what I want to hear. Yeah. Like at least say, okay, why do you think it's that? Or, you know, talk to me about it. Like, why do you think it's not that? Where it's clear they just had no knowledge of it. They had never been trained on it, never seen a patient and they're not interested in hearing about it. Like be curious, mm -hmm. please, but whatever. The decision made on that second hospital visit was, okay, we're going to treat it with corticosteroids. So we can't let you out again because the, the vision issues and the longer lasting um, numbness, I, I had to mention that. Like when my arm went numb that second time when I was in the ER, Instead of lasting 20 minutes, I lasted overnight. It didn't come back till sometime on Friday. Hmm. So that was pretty scary because I didn't know if it was going to come back at all. You know, when it was lasting hours, I'm like, okay, is that it? Is that lost feeling in my left arm? Is it forever? Yeah. Um, and in the, in the vision thing as well, that didn't come back right away. It came back around the same time, some, sometime on Friday. Hmm. So the neurologist finally said, we have to treat you with something. We can't let you go again if this is progressing. 
So they decided to treat me with uh, an extremely high dose of, of prednisolone, which is some more potent form of prednisone. Um, and that's done by IV because they give you a really large dose. It's a thousand milligrams per day for three days. That's like a mega dose. And it's, it's how they treat um, MS, uh, multiple sclerosis people. And they have flare ups in their brain mm -hmm. and a lot of other CNS inflammation issues because the, the drugs don't penetrate the blood brain barrier that well. So they have to give these really, really high doses to have an effect. Wow. And again, this it takes three days. I can't give it to you all at once. It's a thousand milligrams per day for three days. So again, I was in the hospital for a weekend. Mm. Fun. <laughs> um, and again, feeling perfectly. That first day, I was not feeling fine when my left arm was numb and I couldn't see it partially out of my left eye. But thankfully, the rest of that weekend, I felt I felt okay. And again, that was a weird experience because since I'm in a, in a neurology ward, even though I'm feeling perfectly fine, the nurses come in like every four hours and they do for, full neurological workups, like. Mm. You feel this on the left side. You feel right on the left side. Can you see it on this side? You know, track my, my finger and have a physical therapist come through, an occupational therapist come through, and can you walk correctly? So that was just a weird experience to be, you know, I kind of felt like, you know, I don't want to say an imposter, but I'm like, do I really belong in here? Like, you know, I don't, I didn't have a stroke and I feel fine, Right. but whatever. So I had my, my three days of, of uh, high dose steroid treatment and okay, we're going to do one more last MRI to see if there's any improvement from that. And then if that looks okay, then we're going to discharge you again. So we had the last MRI and that one showed that there was a slight decrease in the inflammation in the brain, which is what they wanted to see. And like, okay, that's enough. We can send you home. We'll do another MRI in a couple of weeks and then we'll do follow-up visits with the rheumatologist, with the neurologists, and they'll take it from there. Mm -hmm. So that was in early May and I've been okay since then. So we're now at about a month and a half since that last episode. Have not had another one, have felt perfectly fine. Um, I had another MRI. The MRI showed basically the same results as the last one in the hospital that with the reduced inflammation, but it's not gone. Mm -hmm. And my understanding of that is that just because there's still hyper, what they call hyper intensity showing on the MRI, that doesn't indicate there's something active going on. It could be like a scarring effect of seeing what happened in the past. Uh, it's complicated. Like you, you get these, these radiologist reports from the guy who does the MRI, who reads the MRI, they aren't radiologists. And you try to make heads or tails of it. And I'm, I'm not a doctor. You know, I have a scientist background, which is, you know, helpful, but I'm not a doctor. I have to kind of leave it to the neurologist to explain it to you. But it, it, he sounded fairly, fairly optimistic about it. He's like, we'll track you again. We'll do another MRI. And uh, hopefully you won't have any symptoms between now and then. One thing that was interesting is that they still don't have a, a real diagnosis for it. So I saw four or five neurologists the entire time I was in the hospital. Um, the one that I saw in the office, he's calling it something called uh, PRES, PRES which I, I don't know if I remember the whole thing. It's like posterior reversible encephalopathy syndrome. I think that's what it was, which is a, again, a, a brain inflammation that can be caused by a lot of different things. And he, his theory was it was the methotrexate that was causing it. I'm, I'm not completely convinced of that because he seems to be the only one of the doctors that thought that and convinced himself that's what it was. He just wanted to write something down in my report because the rheumatologist I talked to didn't think it was that. The neurosurgeon really didn't think it was that. But to be on the safe side, Number one, I hadn't taken, I hadn't taken methotrexate since the very first hospital visit. They told me back then, don't take the methotrexate, don't start it again, mm -hmm. which made me quite nervous because I wasn't taking anything for the RA. Um, but weirdly, I haven't had any flare-ups since then either. Like my hands have been, you know, they're not a hundred percent, but they're not hurting. My shoulders have been relatively calm. Um, it's really, really been one thumb. My right thumb is the worst. It's been really, really swollen for, for months now. Mm. But other than that, I really haven't had any bad flare-ups or anything. But in any case, the rheumatologist said, we're going to start you on this different drug called azathioprine, just in case it is a methotrexate that's causing something. 
so that's what I'm on now for the last couple of weeks. And again, no flare-ups or anything, nothing terrible. My, my shoulders have slight pain, but nothing like it was in the beginning. And, and that also takes like six to eight weeks to start working. And I've only been on it for, you know, maybe three, maybe four, I'm not sure. And that's where I am now. You know, I had this brain thing, which may or may not be gone, which may or may not be related to rheumatoid arthritis, yeah. may or may not be related to the vaccine. But again, no one seems to know. Yeah. That's my story. <laughs> I mean, so from your first symptom to today, it's been what, like six months? Six months. Yeah. It escalated so quickly. Yeah. I know when we first started talking, it was like February and you were like, oh man, RA sucks. I haven't slept. <laughs> I've been sleeping on my recliner. Mm-hmm. And then, and like, you know, we kind of went like that for a little while. And then all of a sudden you were like, yeah, so RA sucks. I'm in the hospital right now. <laughs> and like, all it just like jumped from like some shoulder pain to a hospital MRIs. And that's just crazy. Yeah. And I'm sure it's like kind of scary that you don't exactly have a diagnosis. You're just kind yeah. of like monitoring it or treatment, really. It's like, exactly. You got your three days worth. And now we're just hoping for the best. Right. Yeah, that's strange too that like the rest of your RA kind of subsided. I wonder if your body's like, we're dealing with enough right now. <laughs> yeah, I was really sort of concerned after they took me off the methotrexate the first time. So I'm like, what happens if the shoulders come roaring back? Yeah. I was nervous about taking any kind of medication if anything is going to affect this this brain thing. But thankfully, you know, knock on, knock on wood, it's been calm. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, So do you have any advice for people who might also be kind of dealing with these unknown circumstances obviously like your specific circumstances i doubt anyone listening has been like yeah me too yeah but but it sounds like you did a really good job of kind of navigating the unknown Mm -hmm. how did you do that you know it's kind of educating myself you know on your first episode you're talking about how it's dangerous to try to self-diagnose yourself on google which yeah it's it's extremely dangerous but you can also learn a lot you know you just have to be discerning like you know number one know the source you're reading from it, you know, is it from a, a journal article or, you know, a reputable secondary journal or whatever that's summarizing some other study, you know, not a YouTube video. And, and hopefully, um, although there are, there are good YouTube videos out there too. And I don't want to totally say that there's no, that I saw, I found some really good YouTube videos about this, you know, number one, educate yourself, come into your doctor's visits with good questions. You know, if you found something that they think is interesting, bring it up. Don't be afraid to bring it up and don't be afraid to push back a little, you know, don't get into an argument with your doctor, but if what they're saying doesn't, you know, ring true to you, or, or maybe they don't fully understand what you're saying or what you're asking, push a little bit. And, and, and that's where it goes back to what we we're talking about earlier about, you know, what makes a good doctor. Good doctors are going to be the ones that are a little bit more comfortable when they don't know the answer to something, if they're not sure about a diagnosis. And they're the ones are going to be more open-minded about listening to you, your concerns, your questions, and answering them in, in an honest way. And again, if they don't know, they say they don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't say, you know, I'm a doctor. You know, I never heard of this. It means it's not a thing. Yeah. One of the positives about being in the hospital, you know, it's not a lot of positives, but you get to see a lot of doctors and you get to compare them and see which one, what are the things you like about some that you don't like about others. So like I said, I saw maybe four or five neurologists. I saw four rheumatologists. So you get a sense to the ones that, that know how to answer questions well and the ones that don't and the ones that you want to see again, and the ones you don't want to see again. Yeah. And if you're, you're not in that situation, you, if you have one you're seeing in an office regularly, it might be a little bit more difficult to say, hey, you know, should I try a different doctor or shouldn't I? That can be a tough decision. But if, if you really go into a, a doctor's office visit and the, the answers that doctor is giving you don't make you feel comfortable, then you should probably try to find another doctor if, if it's possible. And again, not everyone has that, that luxury, but you know, don't just stick with that doctor because it's convenient yeah. is what I'm trying to say. You know, there, are, there could be better doctors out there. 
the neurosurgeon that I, I met with was probably my favorite doctor of the ones there. Really, really sharp guy, really, really smart, obviously, but no ego. He was like, he was very relaxed, very open, very conversational. And again, he was extremely comfortable to say that. I don't know what this is. I, I, I'm pretty sure I know what it's not, mm. but this is the best we can do right now. And just treat it with the steroids because that steroids are going to treat any sort of inflammation, no matter what it is that's causing it. Um, so he made me feel more at ease, even though he didn't know what it was any more than anyone else did, yeah. which is funny because the other neurologist who wanted to give it a name and a diagnosis made me feel less, less comfortable because I could read from him that he didn't know what it was either. He just wanted to give it a name. Ugh. It's, it's tricky. You know, it's, it's not easy to do. Um, it can be frustrating and scary. Oh, and I tell you this story too. So having this lack of diagnosis and a lack of knowledge, I started looking in, in you know, the general literature to say like, who, is there anyone who has an expertise in this area? So I found a paper that reviewed inflammatory CNS issues with rheumatoid arthritis. And I emailed one of the authors who's now like chair of Columbia rheumatology department or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I told her, I'm like, I suspect I might have this CNS inflammation from RA. I'm not hundred percent certain that the doctors understand what's going on. Are you still interested in this area or is, can you recommend someone that might be interested? And she actually re- replied, which was nice. And she's like, well, if you do have CNS inflammation from RA, it's an incredibly rare diagnosis and there's no standard of care. Like there's been very little research in this area. And I, anyone I refer you to is not going to know any more about it than the doctors are probably currently seeing. So it's probably not going to be helpful to see anyone else. Like, well, that's slightly reassuring and slightly terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you watch House or, you know, but like, it's a very interesting show to watch, but you don't want to be one of the patients on there. <laughs> like, it's, it's nice to be a challenging diagnosis if you're on TV, but not if it's your, your brain. Yeah, no. Wow. That's cool, though, that you're even like reaching out to people like, hey, you seem like you might know some answers. Let me email you. Yeah, that's smart. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? I, you know, if you want to just, just dial it back to just RA in general, since that's probably a lot more relevant to the people that listen to your show. <laughs> it, it's, it's a similar thing. Like, it seems like a lot of people suspect they might have RA and they're reluctant to go to the doctor or they get these diagnoses. Like the first one I got from my physician saying like it probably isn't RA you know your body better than the doctor. So if you really are concerned about it, you know, I was lucky. I had that, that swollen knuckle and the swollen jaw that happened right after. I'm like, okay, there's definitely something going on. And I had the doctor that's willing to say, okay, let's go for the blood work. So the blood work is not hard to do. It's very easy for a doctor to prescribe blood work. So if you're getting the pushback from your doctor, push for the blood work. And it's not always going to be definitive. Sometimes people get negative blood work when they have RA. So it's you know not going to catch every case, but you know, don't be afraid to ask for things if you feel like you need them. Not every doctor is going to be as open-minded. Yeah. I remember another funny story from, the, from my that first hospital visit, that same rheumatologist that was telling me that rheumatoid meningitis doesn't exist when I'd already read multiple papers about it. He was just asking about my rheumatoid arthritis symptoms in general. It's like, oh, so you have well-controlled RA right now. I'm like, I wouldn't call it well-controlled. I just started having symptoms. I just started methotrexate. I was having flares in my hands like a couple of days ago. And am I getting flares in my jaw? He's like, your jaw? He's like, that's not common. I'm like, well, yeah, my, my right jaw swelled up right at the same time as my knuckle. He's like, it's probably TMJ syndrome. Do you, do you clench down in your, you know, at night or do you, do you grind your teeth? I'm like, it's, it's not that. Like, I didn't have this issue before. It started the exact same time as my, my other symptoms. And I know someone that also has jaw issues. With, <laughs> you know, I didn't say your name. Like, I know people have it. He's like, oh, it's just, that's a really uncommon symptom. Sometimes in children, we see that. I'm like, why are you telling me? I know what I have. <laughs> I was afraid to tell my rheumatologist about my jaw pain because I was like, everyone else just says it's CMJ. And she was like, no, that's a joint. Mm -hmm. RA affects your joints. So like, yeah, there's some doctors, I think they just, yeah, if they don't know the answer, they don't want to like show cracks. 
Right. So they kind of just bullshit a little bit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> wow. Well, so are you sticking with that one rheumatologist then that's, that's like open to looking into it? Yeah. The first one that, that my, my primary referred me to, he was a really nice guy. I liked him. He was sharp, but there's two things. Number one is when I called him with a numbness issue and he said, you know, that's not RA. My initial assumption was he's not familiar with any connections with RA. So that made me less likely to want to go back to him if there is a connection. And second, that the, the one that I met in the hospital, I just liked better. She seemed more open-minded, more experienced. So I, I just wanted to switch over to her. Again, nothing negative about him. He was a, he was a good guy, he was a good doctor. But you know, since she was familiar with the case, she was there when I came to the hospital. She knows the neurologists that are working with me as well. I just felt better about going to see her as my continuing care roomie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you got to kind of audition them a little bit. Yes. Well, keep us updated on how your follow-up goes and, and if it progresses or if this is it, that was the peak and it's done now. And if anyone has any questions, just, I guess, go through, go through you and I'll be happy. Yeah. If anyone has any questions, email me, I'll pass them over to David and then we'll uh, get you answers. Sounds good. Great. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. It's like really cool to meet you and hopefully everything's smooth from here on out. <laughs> Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. David emails me with one more tip on how to keep yourself informed. He encourages everyone to take advantage of patient portals or apps that almost every provider has. Often doctors will read off results quickly before you have the chance to grasp what they're saying, so David finds it helpful to go back and see the reports, especially the blood work, to make sure he understands the results and how the doctor is interpreting them. He also said that when he was in the hospital, the roomie there was asking about past blood work results and he was able to pull out his phone and show her. If he didn't use the portal, she would have had to get them out on her own and who knows how long that would have taken. If you have any questions for David, you can email me at myimmunesystempod at gmail.com and I'll pass your questions along. You can also reach out on Facebook or Instagram at myimmunesystempod. And a quick disclaimer before we go, any information discussed in this podcast is strictly my opinion and those of my guests and are for informational purposes only. We are speaking from our personal experiences and you should always consult with your doctor or medical team. Bye.